All right, Luke 17, are you there? Uh, Let's go ahead and uh, start checking out verse 22. Uh, It it says, then he, that being Jesus, said to the, the disciples, the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here or look there. Do not go after them or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. What I want to talk to you about tonight Uh, And what I've used as a title is very simply this. As it was in the days of Noah and Lot. As it was in the days of Noah and Lot. And and what I want to do is I want to take a peek at the scripture tonight. And I want to see what was so significant about the days of Noah and Lot that would give us a clue to the time of the coming of of the son of man. Mm-hmm. Now, now, now there, there's been lots of people, uh, uh, both in the church and out of the church, trying to predict the end of the world or, or the date for the rapture of the church and things like that. We're not dropping any dates on you tonight. You can forget about that. Uh, you know, that, that's nonsense and foolishness to do such a thing. But I will tell you this, Jesus has given us some real clear indicators that if we pay attention to the indicators, we can know uh, what season we're in. And uh, that's uh, something really amazing we're going to see tonight. And Jesus said here in verse 26, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. In verse 28, he said, likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, And then he finishes that thought in verse 30. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So what can we see? What can we gather from the days of Noah and the days of Lot to let us know, are we in those days? Are we going to find some similarity between those days and these days here? So let's go ahead and take a little trip. How about we go back to the book of Genesis? Genesis chapter 6. This is Bible study night. That's what we call Wednesday night services, Bible study. So we don't mind doing a little extra reading tonight, do we? 
All right, praise the Lord. Genesis chapter 6. And uh, what we're going to do first is uh, check out some of the things that the scripture says about the days of Noah. Yeah, hallelujah. Is there anybody excited about the fact that Jesus came to earth to save us? And at the same time, are you also excited that the same Jesus who came to earth to save you the first time is coming back a second time? Hallelujah. It's the absolute truth. Glory be to God. Genesis 6, let's start reading with verse 1. It says, uh, Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful and they took wives for them of all whom they chose. Uh, And the Lord said, uh, my spirit shall not strive with man forever for he is indeed flesh yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Um, Just to give you a little breakdown of what that would uh, say, if, if you broke down the Hebrew of that, you know, the, the fact that the thoughts of his heart was only on evil continually, uh, it would come out like this, that everything was squeezed, molded, or, or framed into the shape of evil. Think about that. That, that. that even something that inherently wasn't evil, when it got into the heart and the mind of someone who had every intent of their heart towards evil, they would squeeze it and shape it until it became something evil. Think about that. Uh, It's interesting how even things that are pure can end up defiled when you get into the hands of the wrong person. Come on now. Verse 6. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Now, we saw over in verse 5 the, the meaning of that, where the, uh, the intent of uh, the, every intent of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. We see that uh, a better way of saying that is that everything was squeezed, molded, formed, or framed into the shape of evil. But then we see the word violence appearing over in verse 11, verse 13. And that Hebrew word for violence actually carries the connotation of not just the obvious, being violence, of course, but, but also the connotation of maltreating or taking unjust gain. 
doing damage and injustice or oppressing and dealing wrongfully. To break it down, it's just flat out lawlessness. And it's an interesting word to use because the ultimate manifestation of lawlessness, if you study the scripture, uh, culminates in someone called the Antichrist. Can I hear an amen? amen? But we're not lawless. As a matter of fact, God has blessed us New Testament people in a very special way because we're not having to deal with the law carved into stone that we're doing our best to keep, but just don't have the ability to and keep on falling short over and over again. For New Testament believers, we've got the benefit of the law being written on our hearts. Hallelujah. And ultimately, that the fulfilling of the law, the fulfilling of the Ten Commandments is wrapped up in something that has been shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost, and that's called the love of God. Hallelujah. What a beautiful, beautiful thing to behold. So we see this. We see it was a, a, a time where uh, people just took anything and everything and turned it into something evil. And it was a time where uh, violence and, and, and uh, taking unjust gain and, and dealing wrongfully and lawless acts was the, the, the way of the, the world. And we also see this, that it was a day of warnings. Because God warned Noah of what was coming. Over in Hebrews eleven seven, you can just write the reference down, but Hebrews eleven seven, Noah who made the, the hall of fame of faith, it says about him that by faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, being moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. So we see that Noah was warned by God and that he was moved by his fear of the Lord. So God warned, and we also see the fact that Noah must have done some warning too. In the New Testament, you can another reference you can write down, 2 Peter 2, 5, identifies Noah as a preacher of righteousness. Well, when was he a preacher of righteousness, and who was he preaching to? Well, it seems pretty likely that he was a preacher of righteousness during that century or so that he was building the ark. And his audience were the people in the world at that time who not one single, he had not one single convert in that whole century of ministry. And, and you know, sometimes a preacher might feel bad if, if he does a, a Sunday morning out, altar call and there's only one person come forward. Well, heaven rejoices over one sinner that repents. Heaven didn't have anything to rejoice for during that time because nobody responded to his altar call. It was him, his wife, his three sons and their wives at the beginning of the our building of the ark. And at the end, it was still just him, his wife, his three sons and their wives. No converts along the way, though they were warned. My, my, my. And what does that tell you? That, that tells you another thing that we see during the time of Noah, during the days of Noah, and this is revealed over in 1 Peter 3.20. 1 Peter 3.20 shows us that it was a time of God's patience and long-suffering. It was a time of God's patience and long-suffering. 
What does that have to do with the time of the end? Oh, that has lots to do with the time of the end. Because James chapter 5 verse 7 says this, Therefore be patient, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. So God, who, or, uh, who is the farmer who's got seed in the ground and is waiting for his harvest, he's waiting patiently for it. So we see the patience of God in the days of Noah, and we also know this, that at the time of the end, God will be exercising patience as he is waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. Amen. Now, uh, another interesting thing that, that we see in the uh, uh, Jesus description over in Luke 17, uh, and actually specifically verse 27 of that chapter, Jesus depicted that life was normal. That life was pretty normal. There was eating going on, drinking going on, and marrying going on. Or you might say there were banquets, parties, and weddings. But as far as mankind and their usual social interaction, things were pretty normal. So that's just kind of a bird's eye view of what was happening in the days of Noah. Now let's start taking a look at what happened in the days of Lot. You're right there in Genesis. Go to the 13th chapter. Hallelujah. Now, let me ask you a question. Does anybody notice lawlessness in the world today? The spirit of people making up their own rules and living by their own rules and don't care what God has to say, don't care what authority has to say. They just do their own thing. Like the, the sad verse at the end of Judges, which says that every man did what was right in their own eyes. Do you see a spirit of lawlessness in the world today? Yes. Absolutely. Do you see violence in the world today? Do you see people dealing wrongfully and violence on a, on a higher scale than ever? Because here, here's the thing. When, when we think violence, we think of statistics like recent statistics coming out of the city of Chicago about the amount of murders that took place in the city of Chicago. But, but you know, that, that's, that, that's more obvious. But, uh, you, you, you know, don't forget there are a lot of murders that take place in, in, in some local doctor's offices. And uh, the, the, this, this nation of ours and many other nations have a whole lot of blood on their hands. And it, it's not very obvious because, you know, it's just kind of neatly done in the doctor's office and it's not called violence. It's called something else, but it is what it is. It, it's bloody murder. It's violence. And it is what it is. And, and our world is filled with violence in the obvious sense and also in the not so obvious sense. Now, what were the days of Lot like? Let's go ahead and examine this a little further. Because what we want to do 
is, is we really want to take an honest look at the scripture and compare it to the time that we're in now and see if it matches. Because if it matches, you know what it tells us? It tells us that we're likely pretty close to the day of the Son of Man. Now that makes sense, right? That, that, that if we can compare and we can see that, that it fits the description, it lets us know we're, we're pretty close. All right, Genesis 13, let's start reading with verse 1. It says, then, then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. To the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Lot also who went with Abram had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I'll go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And that it was really like the, the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go toward Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan and Lot journeyed east and they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Now, we see this here at the end of what we just read here in verse 13, 12 and 13, that Lot pitched his tent over towards Sodom. And it says very clearly that the men of Sodom were uh, exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. But it's interesting, one of the things that caught Lot's attention is he looked over that direction and said, Woo, that looks very well watered. He's got uh, herds of uh, uh, livestock. He sees something that's very well watered. It describes it here looking like the garden of the Lord. I mean... Man, look at that land over off in the distance. That looks almost as good as Eden. That, that just looks like paradise. Green, lush. But it's interesting that what looked good at the moment was certainly not the right move to make. Oh, God's talking to somebody tonight. Uh-huh. Yeah, you, you think the grass is greener on the other side. The Lord needs to tell you that's not grass. That's astroturf over there. It's not even the real thing. It just looks like green grass until you get over there and say, what did I get myself into? It's amazing that, that for, for whatever reason, Lot lacked the foresight to see what would become of this green lush area, this well-watered area. 
uh, because Sodom went from something that the, the plain and that surrounding areas, it went from something that looked like Eden to what the prophet Zephaniah called an area that is overrun with weeds and salt pits. If you want to write that little reference down, that's Zephaniah 2.9. But, but the very area that was so lush and well-watered ended up being an area that was overrun with weeds and salt pits. Doesn't sound so attractive anymore. Well, that's one little nugget that you can take with you when you're making decisions. Yeah, it may look good, but you got to have so, uh, some Holy Ghost insight. What's Holy Ghost insight? Well, one thing Jesus said about the Holy Ghost is that he will show you things to come. So you can have advanced knowledge about something because of God, the Holy Ghost who dwells inside of you. So the, he already knows stuff. And he is very willing to share it with you. This is a good side journey for somebody tonight. So, so don't end up being like Lot who, who saw something that, that looked like bling bling and then found out it wasn't a real diamond, it was a cubic zirconia, you know what I'm saying? He saw something that looked good when he got into it, regretted that he had made the move. But we've got the advantage of the Holy Ghost dwelling on the inside of us who knows things to come who's willing to show us things to come so we don't get ourselves in a fix. Praise the Lord, somebody. Hallelujah. Now, another thing that we see here, and, and once again, this is something that, that Jesus stated about the days of Lot, that life was once again normal. Eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting and building. Business as usual. All right? Now we're going to read a little bit more here. Go to Genesis 19. It's good to, to read what we read there because it gives you the background. Uh, Lot and Abraham are, 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 are going along together. And it's interesting. It gets to a point where, where the, the land was... Uh, not able to hold them all anymore because Abraham had lots of stuff. Lot had lots of stuff. The land couldn't hold them anymore. But the unfortunate thing about that separation is that, uh, that there was a certain amount of covering that Lot might have had that he didn't have anymore when he got out of company with Abraham. Well, 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 well. And preach right there. It's interesting how life just really took a bad turn. If you look at Lot's life, life didn't go so hot for Lot after he separated from Abraham. Now, I know uh, Abraham had the, the suggestion, the, the recommendation, you know, rather than fighting, we should just go ahead and, you know, take, take different areas. You know, if you go one way, I'll gladly take the other way. Abraham was very kind and gracious in the way he handled things with Lot. But, but it's interesting that after this, Lot and his family get kidnapped. And Abraham and his guys need to go and save them. And then besides that, we, we see uh, Lot ending up living in uh, the city of Sodom. And uh, uh, it, it took his... Uh, uncle's uh, intercession to get him out of there. 
So it's a very interesting thing to see that, that once there was that separation between Lot and Abraham, that there was a downward spiral. You know, when God, oh, glory to God, when God hooks you up with somebody, stay with who God hooks you up with. You, you, you don't want to be unhooked from who God wants you hooked up with. You, you don't want to uh, miss a connection or a relationship that God wants you to have that you need because God ordained for you to have that thing. Man, that's for somebody. Hallelujah. So we can just go ahead and uh, go along with our lesson and, and, and the Holy Ghost drops some nuggets on you as we go along. All right. Genesis 19 verse 1. We're back. All right. Just a little holy station break. All right. Genesis 19, verse 1, it says, Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, No, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly, so they turned in to him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. So what's happened here? These two angels that, that, that looked like men, angels in the appearance of men, showed up to Sodom. Lot brought them into his house in the city of Sodom. Look at verse 4. Now before they lay down, the men of the city... The men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. Now, uh, j just to give you a, a little explanation. Um, uh, th there's a, um, an, an idiom that, that's used even back in the earlier part of Genesis. And when Adam knew Eve, she conceived. So this wasn't, let's have a conversation, let me get to know you. These men wanted to have sexual relations with these two men that just entered their city. Now verse 6. So Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind them, and said, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See, now I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. Verse 9, and they said, stand back. Then they said, this one, talking about Lot, came in to stay here, and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. But the men, the angels who were inside, reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. Now, I don't know about you, but, but, but if these two guys made me blind... I'd quit trying to find the door. <laughs> These guys are so messed up that even after they got smitten with blindness, they're still trying to find the door. That's sick, y'all. That's sick. All right. Lord have mercy. It's amazing what you find in the book when you really read it, you know. Uh, verse 12. 
Then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? Son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place. For we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out, spoke to his sons-in-law who had married his daughters and said, get up, get out of this place for the Lord will destroy the city. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. Verse 15, when the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass uh, when they had brought them outside that he said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, please know my lords. Indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. See, now this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to him, see, I have favored you concerning this thing also, and that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Well, well, well. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zor. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot, the Lot entered Zor. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. Remember, we were talking about how well watered and lush it was. Well, the stuff that grew on the ground got fried. Verse 26. But his wife looked back behind him. Remember, the angel said, don't look back. But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Then he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain. And he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass, when God destroyed the cities of the plain... That God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. Now, that line, God remembered Abraham, don't forget that. We're coming back to that in a little while. But, but this is uh, 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 the very clear and vivid description of what the scripture says happened in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, let me give you some Bible verses to write down, and then I'm going to give you an outline of what other things in the Bible says about Sodom. The summary of what the Scripture says was wrong with Sodom, which is the place where Lot was living. Write these down, Jeremiah 23, 14. Jeremiah 23, 14. You can write this down, Ezekiel 16, 49 to 50. Ezekiel 16, 49 to 50. Also, Isaiah 3 and verse 9. Isaiah 
3, verse 9. And then also Jude chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Jude chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Only one chapter in Jude anyway. All right. Now I want to go ahead and give you a summary. These scripture references that I've just given you. I want to give you the summary of what they say about Sodom. First of all, the people in Sodom walked in lies. That's one thing it says about them. They walked in lies. Now listen to this. Those who lived in Sodom were proud and haughty. Now you look up these scriptures, it's all in there. I didn't make any of this up. They were proud and haughty. Not only did they not turn back from their wickedness, they flaunted it. The scripture says that they did nothing to hide their sin. So they flaunted it and they were in your face. Oh, don't get me started now. All right. Let's see something else. Listen to this. They had the means... To help the poor and the needy, but they never strengthened the hands of the poor and needy. They had abundance. They had lots of stuff, but they never did anything to strengthen the hands of the poor and needy. Instead of strengthening the hands of the poor and needy, the scripture says that they strengthened the hands of evildoers. Now, it's interesting uh, Jeremiah over in Lamentations 4, 6 says that Sodom was overthrown in a moment with no one to help her. It's amazing how you see the law of sowing and reaping there. That the very city that was full of goods but never offered help to the people that needed help. When they got overthrown, the scripture says there was no one there to help her. What you sow, you reap. Now another thing. Sodom was filled with adultery, immorality, abominable and perverse sexual activity, particularly homosexuality. From Sodom, you get the words sodomy and sodomize. This was so extreme, the, uh, the, 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 the spirit, the, the intensity of the lust in the men of the city was so extreme like we read that they were wanting to break down the door of the house to get to these two men that just walked into the city minding their own business. Extreme. And when Lot said, wait a minute, don't do this kind of wickedness. They said something that sounds very much like today. I said, well, who are you to judge? Amen. Come on now. So it's interesting. The idea of pride and haughtiness. People not turning back from their wickedness, but rather they're not even trying to hide it. They're flaunting it. What day does that sound like? People walking in lies. I mean, people that are just professional liars. I mean, people that, 
have lied so much that they actually believe their lies that were the truth. That's how convinced they are of their own lies. People who have the means to strengthen the hands of the poor and needy, but don't do so. And instead of doing that, they strengthen the hands of evildoers. And then besides that, people who are sex crazed and perverse and involved in all kind of abominable sexual activity. Does that sound like the day we're living in today? Well, the question then, knowing what we know and and, and seeing these clues, how do we respond? What do we do? Well, first of all, this is one thing you need to know. Remember the words of Jesus when he said, remember Lot's wife. And I'm going to tell you this. Don't look back. Someone say, don't look back. It's interesting. You, you can think, what, were, what was it that caused her to look back? Well, let's see. It may have been that her home was there. Her friends were there. That's where she lived. That's where her relationships were. Those may have been factors. The scripture doesn't say what the factors were that caused her to look back. And and ultimately what happened, she turned into a pillar of salt. And such a significant event that Jesus in Luke 17, as we read, would bring it up and say, remember Lot's wife. I believe that there is a danger when people look back at their sin with a sense of nostalgia. I believe that there is a problem when you're looking back, oh, you you know, joking around with your buds or joking around with the girls about how smashed you used to get when you would do stuff together. Or the stuff you used to do and the, the, the way you used to do it and how you used to do it and who you did it with and all that business. Uh, looking back at sin with a sense of nostalgia instead of a sense of thank God I'm free from that mess and I'm going so far away from it that I ain't ever going back again. I'm never looking back again. There's nothing about what's behind me that I want to even sneak a peek. I have no interest in what's behind me. I only got interest in what's ahead of me. As a matter of fact, I love the, the end of Hebrews chapter 10 that says, we are not of those who, who draw back to perdition. There ain't no part of us looking back or drawing back. But we are those who, 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 are, uh, who believe to the saving of the soul. Hallelujah. You find that over in the end of Hebrews chapter 10. So we need to realize this, that there's no part of the life, uh, of this life, that's worth saving worth holding on to in comparison to the next life. And I'll tell you what, you may have your, your plans and it's all right to have plans. You may have your dreams and it's all right to have dreams. But we just need to get this settled once and for all is that what's on the other side is better than what's on this side. 
And, and we need to be people who do not have uh, anchors holding us down to the things of the earth. But, but to be like Paul said in Colossians, where we're setting our affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Here Lot's wife is looking back at, 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 at her home and possibly friends of hers there in the city who are getting burned up as the city's getting destroyed. But you know, Abraham was different. You know what the Bible says hey, about Abraham is that Abraham was looking for a city uh, that had foundation whose builder and maker was God. Come on now. So he wasn't looking back. He, he wasn't uh, holding on to, with, with nostalgia to, to uh, some things of the past. No, he was looking forward to the bright future that God had and the city that God had for him that God himself was building. Hallelujah. Now also, let's realize this. Don't look back. We realize that. But here's another realization we need to come to. That as God showed Abraham what he was doing, God will also give us, the children of Abraham, some clues about what he's doing. Don't you know you are children of Abraham? You're in the covenant with the same God that Abraham was in covenant with. And you know, over in Genesis 18, God actually visited Abraham with those angels that eventually walked into Sodom. And his words was this, and you can find this in Genesis 18, verse 17. He said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? And when he asked that question, he went on to unveil what the plan was regarding Sodom and Gomorrah. That, that it was going to be destroyed. Now, here in this time that we live, will there be a sense inside of us as believers of when we're getting close to the time of the end? Well, first of all, you know this, that there are some real clear indicators that we've seen tonight that we are seeing uh, many things happening in our day that are very much like the days of Noah and the days of Lot. But why don't you go to 1 Thessalonians 5 for a minute. And I want you to see something very interesting here. 1 Thessalonians 5. Yeah, hallelujah. 1 Thessalonians 5. And this is going to shed some light onto what the scripture says about us as New Testament believers being able to have some kind of clue about the day. Just like God gave Abraham a clue, he's doing the same for us. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Look at verse 1. It says, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. 
Now, wait a minute. Verse 2 says the Lord's coming like a thief in the night. But then verse 4 says something that seriously clarifies something that we need to see. Verse 4 makes a statement that this day is not coming like a thief in the night for us because we're not of the darkness, we're of the light. When you're in the light, you get to see things clearly. Things are, are clear and plain and obvious. You don't know the exact day, but you can sense, oh yeah, we're getting real close right now. Because that day, for those of us who are in the light, the scripture says, it will not overtake us as a thief. Hallelujah. That means we can be wise like the sons of Issachar. In the Old Testament, that they, 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 they had a sense, they had a knowing of the times, an understanding of the times. That same spirit that was found there in the sons of Issachar. In the Old Testament, I believe it's First Chronicles, uh, that that same spirit can be upon the church where we have an understanding of the times. And Jesus gave us a whole lot of clear indicators so that we don't have to be clueless about it. All we got to do is take the pieces of the puzzle that he gave us and put it together. Amen. Now, here's another thing that we can realize. Oh, yeah. You can realize this as you examine uh, Noah and Lot, that in both cases, there was a clear distinction made between the righteous and the wicked. The wicked got judged. The righteous were allowed to escape. Now, 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 whether the, the rapture is before the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation, or after the tribulation, I'm not going to get into that. I'll let Pastor John talk about that. There's certain things that the assistant just leaves the senior pastor to talk about. But, but one, one thing I will tell you is that there's a clear pattern in the Bible that God has a, a, a separation between the wicked and the just when judgment falls. That's one thing that we know for certain. How it all shakes out, we'll see. But one thing you can know for certain, this is God's pattern. There's no way you can miss this. As a matter of fact, go to 2 Peter 2. That God makes a clear distinction between the righteous and the wicked. The wicked were left out of the ark. Those who were righteous were in the ark. The righteous were delivered out of the city. The wicked remained in the city when Sodom was destroyed. Go to 2 Peter 2. Man, this is good. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So we just want to see something about the pattern of God. Because as it was in the days of Noah and Lot, so it will be in the day of the Son of Man. So this lets us know that in the day of the Son of Man, you may not know how it all shakes out, what happens and what happens when, and you may not connect every dot. But you can know this based on the patterns of God that are very clearly laid out in the Scripture, that, that the things that fall on top of the heads of the wicked will not fall on top of the heads of the righteous. 
2 Peter 2, look at verse 4. It says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. So once again, Noah and Lot listed right here. Verse 6 again. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. And delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. If God knew how to do it when it came to Noah and the world of his day, and if God knew how to do it when it came to Lot and the world of his day, I want you to know that God knows how to deliver the godly in every generation and to have a clear line of distinction because between those who are on the Lord's side and those who are not. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. As a matter of fact, you want some good verses to write down here. It's 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 10, that will tell you this. 1 Thessalonians 1, 10, it says that Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, 1 Thessalonians 5.9, same book, chapter 5, verse 9, says this, that God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. Hallelujah. Now, in closing tonight, I want to hit you with one more thing that we see, and this is particularly in, in, in Lot's case. Go back to Genesis. I want you to see this before we... Get ready to wrap up tonight. Genesis 18. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Woo, are you glad you came to church tonight? What time is it? I got to tell you, I do believe we're living in the days of Noah and Lot. How about you? I believe there's a whole lot of clear indicators here. Genesis 18. Let's start with verse 20. It says, and the Lord said, He's talking with Abraham here. Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom. Those were the two angels. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do right. Now that's a pretty serious way for a man to talk to God. But God didn't seem to mind as Abraham approached him, saying, will you spare the city for 50? Well, how about 45? How about 40? 35, 30, 25, 20, 15, 10. 
But he didn't go any lower than 10. And the sad thing is that God couldn't find 10 righteous people in that city. But what's the thought here? The thought is that Abraham made intercession. Abraham stood before the Lord and prayed. Because he knew that he had his righteous nephew. And it was a boneheaded decision to be living in a place like that. But he knew that his nephew was there. And so therefore he made intercession for him. And remember before that we read that God remembered Abraham? This is what God remembered. God remembered that this man stood before him and literally talk about seeking his face. He got up in God's face and said, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And God remembered Abraham. God remembered this conversation and said, this man stood before me and prayed that way and acted that way because he wanted to see Lot and his family delivered. So when it says that Lot and his family were delivered out of Sodom, it says there the specific wording. You can go back and read it again. God remembered Abraham. And I want you to know that this time is a time for intercession. This time is a time for intercession. Because as this time draws close, it's time. If the devil's turning up the heat, I believe the saints need to turn up the heat in prayer. As a matter of fact, over in Jude, uh, uh, verse 22 and 23, he, he used some interesting terminology. He talks about having compassion on some and on others, just saving them out of the fire. I mean, saving them with fear of pulling them out of the fire. Interesting thing that, that you can have a different approach. That you could go ahead and have compassion and mercy with one. And that approach works with some. But then with other people, you just need to scare them into the kingdom. And no, I'm not cussing when I say this. Some people need to have the hell scared out of them. Come on now. And, and Jude said, so some of you just need to pull them out of fire. Which is in essence what Abraham did. Pulled these people right out of the fire. And because of the prayers of Abraham is said that God remembered Abraham at the very time that he was carrying out that judgment. Well, I tell you what, I believe in the same way that we as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ can offer up prayers on behalf of those who are lost. Lost friends, lost family, lost sons, lost daughters. Come on, somebody. And that this can be a time where our prayers are going up and our prayers will have an impact. And you can see, and you may not see it until the very last moment of the very last day, or you may not see it till you got over to the other side. But you see somebody and you say, oh, the Lord remembered me. The Lord remembered me. Because you did what Abraham did and you stood before God and you made intercession. And by so doing, like Jude said, you snatched some people right out of the fire. Come on and give God glory. Hallelujah. Well, that's all, y'all. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. 